I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Postmaster General. So grab your board of governors. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And my, oh my, do we have an episode for you. <laughs> a little, Can you guess why we're doing this one? <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose, but yeah. we're here for it because we simply have to talk about... The Postmaster General. We simply have to talk about it. Yeah, I wanted to do this. I've wanted to do this cabinet or not cabinet position. I've wanted to do this position for a long time. And the opportunity, I feel, just revealed itself to us. I think so. A lot of, a lot of hoopla going on about this Postmaster General, which is just insane considering it's the Postmaster General. And yet... <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. It's, uh, this should be an interesting episode because there's, like, the Postmaster General and the Post Office in general has been... (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Illegal. (laughs) Illegal what you just did. Flag on the play. Five-yard penalty. Repeat first down. Absolutely not. It stays in. It stays in. Of course it stays in. What do you think I'm going to cut like your joke? <laughs> Imagine I'm just listening back to this being like, oh, I hate it when she makes the jokes. Cut. <laughs> There's so much worse than yours. No, 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 no. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, um, okay. 
What were you saying? I dare you to find your thought. I don't even recall anymore. Perfect. Oh, oh, I was going to say they've been, there's been a lot of changes and they've been through the ringer of. Yeah. Like there's just been over the years, over the centuries. Yeah. A lot of stuff that's happened to them. And yet here they are still fucked up. Here they are. And if you haven't listened to our episode on the post office itself, it would be a great companion piece to this episode. Yeah, well, like sort of a sort of a what's a movie that only has a sequel? A sequel. A movie that only has a sequel. Alvin and the Chipmunks the Squeakquel. This is the Squeakquel. My I immediately thought I know what you did last summer and I still know what you did last summer. But then Not I was like, bad. is there is there a third? It would have I'm to be sure. something like, I can't believe I still know what the fuck you did last <laughs> summer. <laughs> oh my God, oh my I God. am aware what you did last summer. I am completely <laughs> I in the know. completely in the know. Of have, what you were up to. I was given all the tea on what yeah, you were doing yeah. last summer. <laughs> Newsflash, I know what you did, bitch. <laughs> and it's a trilogy. That's right. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, so definitely listen to our episode on the post office. And if you like us and you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us because truly it's why I get up in the morning. Yes. She, it's why she's wearing the fuzzy bathrobe. I'm wearing, I'm doing it in a full bathrobe. I don't know what you want me to say. I dressed up for the occasion. You did. You're not wearing the pajamas that we both own. That's right. No, no. I'm I'm truly no, I'm not. Just the robe. Just the robe. Salacious. <laughs> Salacious for the postmaster general. Well, there is a lot of scandal. I love it. You're wearing appropriate clothing. Let's dive in. Let's jump in. So we're gonna start off with the structure of the postmaster general and the post office, just to kind of give us the lay of the land and how this works. So this all is coming from, you guessed it, the official USPS website. Shout out to them. Hello. Okay, so in 1970, when the Board of Governors was established by the Postal Reorganization Act, the governors of the Postal Service were appointed for terms of nine years. The first nine appointments were for staggered terms of one to nine years. Why nine? This is it's so this is random. that shit again that I talk about where I'm like, where are we getting nine? Who, who, who decided? I was like, what? What's a good number for for governors of the board? Right. And like Peter's like, what about nine? And they're like, amazing, amazing. Done. That's why you went it's to so, Harvard, Peter. Excellent that's work. Why you went to Harvard, Peaver? Peaver. I said Peavered. <laughs> Peavert is better. Peavert is Peavert is definitely somebody who went to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. Peavert. As the governing body of the Postal Service, the 11-member Board of Governors has responsibilities comparable to the Board of Directors of a publicly held corporation. The board is made up of nine governors appointed by the President of the United States with the advice and consent of the Senate. No more than five governors can be members of the same political party. Whoa. Yeah. That's unused. I know. I I saw that and I was like, oh, I appreciate this attempt. Put a cap on it, at honey. Balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it because perhaps the post office isn't a political organization? No. And the fact that it's being run like it's a publicly traded company, I feel like is a problem. Sure. It is true. It is true. It is it a is hill I will die on that the government is the it, biggest bitch. nonprofit. It's not a company. It is a nonprofit. <sighs> Woo! We're gonna get into We're it. We're gonna get into it. We're gonna get the hair is down. We both my took hair. Our I hair just down. took my hair out of my ponytail mm-hmm. after that bullet point. Okay, so the other two members of the board are the postmaster general and the deputy postmaster general. Okay, I, you know, you know how I feel about a deputy. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be your job. That's my job. That's my job. The governors appoint the postmaster general who serves at their pleasure. Okay. Okay. Go off. (laughs) That's why I'm wearing the robe. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Who serves at their pleasure without a specific term of office. 
I think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. The governors, together with the postmaster general, appoint the deputy postmaster general. Yeah. J'adore. Yeah. The critical responsibilities of our governors, the postman, the, the, the of the board, or the board yeah, yeah. not like actual governors, but no, like, no, no, the board of, of governors, yes, yeah. board, yeah, the board of governors, include setting rates and appointing the postmaster general and deputy postmaster general. In the event that no governors are in place, these critical responsibilities may not be completed, leaving us without the ability to adjust our rates as needed and without the ability to appoint or replace our two most senior executive officers as needed. I feel as though we should have a backup. It's a problem, right? Like if they're missing it's governors, like, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, shit, there's nothing luck. we can do. Yeah. Like there's nothing that can happen if this if there's no governors. We actually didn't figure out We didn't do like, it right. A plan B. <laughs> no. We didn't do it right. Okay, love. Appointments are made when vacancies occur for the remainder of unexpired terms. Each governor's term expires on December 8th of a given year. Governors may continue to serve following expiration of their term or until a successor is appointed, but not for more than one year. No person may serve more than two terms as governor. Which is 18 goddamn years. That's a lot of years. That's literally that is almost full, two decades. That is a full-ass human who can vote. Yep. Who can buy cigarettes. That is a full-ass human. Correct. The current Postmaster General salary is $291,650. That's so much money. Quite the salary. Yeah. Quite the salary. Yeah. So let's talk about the history of the Postmaster General, which is really intertwined with the history of the post office. So we're going to touch on some different fun facts about the post office than we did in the other episode that we did on da, 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 the post office. And this is more about like kind of the pivotal moments as they relate to like a postmaster general type of deal. Love it. I, it's going to be great. So historically, so this is all coming from history.com. Our new friends at totallyhistory.com. Totally. Totally history. Totally. And the United States Postal Service herself. So, historically, a postmaster general was chosen from within a new president's campaign party membership. During the early days of the post office, a postmaster general had the responsibility of managing the ruling party's support and enjoyed a very influential position, which held great persuasion within the party. So, the postmaster general was like a she-she post that you could get as like yeah. a kickback. Because, I mean... That's the only, mail was the only way people could communicate. Yeah. So if you held the roads, yeah. if you held the mail roads, yeah. you held the power. Yeah. And you had the decision making power to like say what you wanted to be that you, you know, you could, you could argue for like some road running through a city to be a post yeah. road. Like yeah. you had, you had some discretion. Yep. The U.S. postal system was established on July 26, 1775, by the Second Continental Congress when Ben Franklin uh, <laughs> was appointed its first postmaster general. Jack of all trades. Jack, Jack of, of all, all trades. trades. And a stallion in the sheets. It's really, it's really funny. Talk about a guy whose career had no through line. No, no. Electricity literally. and this? I mean, what? come on. And the fire department? And like, the fire department? He's all over busy the place. Busy bee, busy bee. Yeah. He really should have just gotten a master's degree in something. Right. <laughs> they decreed, quote, that the postmaster general be appointed for the United Colonies who shall hold his office at Philadelphia and shall be allowed a salary of $1,000 per annum for himself and $340 per annum for a secretary and comptroller, with power to appoint such and as so many deputies as to him may seem proper and necessary, that a line of posts be appointed under the direction of the Postmaster General from Falmouth? 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 Somebody Falmouth. Hit me. Falmouth or Falmouth? 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 I feel like it's New England. It's got to be Falmouth. Like I think it's Falmouth. I think it's Falmouth. Okay, great. To Savannah, Georgia, with as many cross posts as he shall think fit. So they're basically like, you get a thousand dollars a year as a salary. You can have three hundred and forty. You can have three hundred and forty dollars 
for a yearly salary for somebody else. And then you can control this stretch of land basically from the East Coast tip from the top to the bottom. Yeah. They literally were like, and with that space, do as you please. God bless and God You then. just let us know what you decide. Yeah. Let us know what, what you, you find out there. you decide. Yeah. You him. It's like, uh. So, fast forward a little bit. Ben Franklin put in place the foundation for many aspects of today's mail system. This is coming from history.com. During the early colonial times in the 1600s, very few American colonists sent mail to each other. They were more likely to send it across the pond to Britain and receive stuff back. So they were, like, less concerned about their inter-united colonies mail and more about, like, mail across mail and steamships. Yeah, like their fam- their extended yeah. family was still in, was still in, in Britain or in Europe. Yeah. Mail deliveries across the Atlantic were sporadic and could take many months to arrive. There were no post office in the colonies, so mail was typically left at inns and taverns, which we did talk about last time, which I feel like Mm -hmm. is very interesting. Well, it's like, what's the other central location that's well-established? Right. The library? Not one. I don't think so. Like, the well? Like, I don't know. Like, what? (laughs) Could you imagine? Ye old time well. (laughs) Put your post here. (laughs) Put your post in the bucket. (laughs) Take a post, give a post. (laughs) Take a post, give a post. Then in 1753, Benjamin Franklin, who had been postmaster of Philadelphia, became one of two joint postmasters general for the colonies. He made numerous improvements to the mail system, including setting up new, more efficient colonial routes and cutting delivery time in half between Philadelphia and New York by having the weekly mail wagon travel both day and night via relay teams. So he was like, let's extend this work day and let's instead of doing let's like... Let's get some wagons. Let's get some wagons going here. And also, instead of just like Bill going from Philadelphia <laughs> to New York, what if like Bill met up with Joe mm-hmm. and then Joe met up with Sam and Sam took it to New York? I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's basically what we still do, except now it's like 18,000 people sorting mail in Detroit, maybe, to go to other cities nearby. Right. But he had the red. He he started the red idea. Franklin also debuted the first rate chart, which standardized delivery costs based on distance and weight. Okay. Love to see it. Love to see it. Good work. But then, in 1774, the British fired Ben Franklin from his postmaster general job because of his revolutionary activities. Traitor. Traitor well, to the crown. sure. Ben, you gotta stop trying to get rid of us. I know. I can't keep you on if you want to literally revolt against me. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Come on, Ben. It's such a funny <laughs> sentence to say, and then I was like, you can't blame a crown. You can't blame the Brits. You I know, I don't blame the them for thing. this firing. Like, you would have been, like, if you're against me, why would I keep paying you? Right. I need yeah. you to trust me. I need to yeah. I need to be able to trust that you're not going to try to have me murdered. <laughs> or that you're not going to, like, circulate some kind of, like, propaganda. propaganda through... He controls the roads, yes, for and God's the, sake. He could send propaganda mail to every colonist in the... Fair United Colonies, if he had wanted to. Mm-hmm. He Join or it. die. That's right. <laughs> Join or die, ride or die. So then, however, the following year, he was appointed Postmaster General of the United States by the Continental Congress, a job he held until late 1776 when he was sent to France as a diplomat. He's AKA just... A.K.A. to be a stallion. He a was stallion. sent to France to get in the sheets, honey. Yep. And get in the sheets he did. Yeah. He, I mean, anybody that bald, we've talked about this, gotta be... Look, it's written far and wide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He left a vastly improved mail system with routes from Florida to Maine and regular service between the colonies and Britain. Okay, a so legacy. He's like, yeah, he's leaving a legacy. Our first real postmaster general, he left a big legacy. 
Then this is coming from the USPS. In June 1788, the ninth state ratified the Constitution, which gave Congress the power to, quote, establish post offices and post roads in Article 1, Section 8. A year later, the Act of September 22, 1789, continued the post office and made the postmaster general subject to the direction of the president. Love it. So now we are, now we're in the constitution, baby. We are yeah. solidified. We're solidified. So now it's like, it's there, it's on paper, pen to parchment. There is a post office. Four days after that, President Washington appointed Samuel Osgood as the first postmaster general under the constitution. So like, as U.S. dot, not U.C. dot. Mm-hmm. A population of almost 4 million was served by 75 post offices I, right? Doesn't that seem I mean, like so proud? I know. Like we've it's a really, lot of post offices. It's a lot of post offices. We've really grown. We're serving yeah. a lot of people. And they did that over about 2,400 miles of post roads. Yeah. I mean, again, this is the only way they're communicating. So, yeah. like, good on them for looking around and being like, we've got to establish the roads. The road system. A-S-A-P-U-dot-S-dot-U-S-P-S. Okay. (laughs) Simply must. Then in 1828, there were 7,530 post offices with 29,956 postal employees. That's so many for 1828. Yeah, that's like, that's like less than, that's what, 40 years? Yeah. 50, for almost 50 years? Yeah. And we quadruple, I mean, I don't even know how much, you do the math, we that's, times. We have a lot of, we have expanded. a lot of percentage increased our yes, number yes. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a, a lot. big percentage. It's, I mean. For 1828, I mean, good gracious. Eyeballing it, it's like 8,000%. Yeah. And they had nearly 30,000 postal employees, mail contractors, and carriers, which made the department the largest employer in the executive branch. Hey, if you're not first, you're last. You know what I mean? (laughs) First at the (laughs) table. So because the department had so, so many jobs and contracts, the postmaster general's power really started to grow because he had a lot of weight behind him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is from USPS. Quote, President Andrew Jackson recognized the potential for patronage and in 1829 invited William T. Barry of Kentucky to become the first postmaster general to sit as a member of the president's cabinet. So now, of course, it's Andrew Jackson who's like, of course it is. I see a way for this to work for me. Yes. So I'm going to elect somebody who is probably extremely racist to be... (laughs) A cabinet position. I mean, I don't know William T. Berry of Kentucky personally, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say we probably disagree about a lot of things. I think that's a fair assumption. I think that's a fair assumption. Berry's predecessor, John McLean of Ohio, had been the first postmaster general to refer to the post office, or general post office, as it was sometimes called, as the post office department... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Wait a second. I know. He's like really elevating himself. Wait a second. Wait. The post office department? Come on. Listen, if you don't manifest it for yourself, it won't You're right. happen. You're he right. Wanted he's to be bringing he- it into the fold. He wanted to be the head of a department and he- I get it. He didn't succeed in his own tenure, but he sure did. Tee up that ball for he tried William T. Berry of Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so John McLean, which is really of hard. Like, it, it, isn't that like uh, Die Hard? Is it? That's so funny. I think I think there's a John McLean in Die Hard. I just you keep... guys tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I it's trust Bruce you. Willis. I trust you. Wait, wait. Let's just. <laughs> oh yeah, John McLean, Die Hard. Really. Nice. Yeah, but it's spelled M-C-C-L-A-N-E. It is Bruce Willis. Nice. So glad we got that. Okay, guys, we're full of knowledge here. You just kept saying John McClane, and I was like, I know that's from somewhere, (laughs) and it's Die Hard. It's (laughs) Die Hard. Yeah, so he was the first one to call it the post office department, but the organization 
being the United States Postal Service, was not specifically established as an executive department by Congress until June 8th, 1872. Love. Yeah. So just some like fun facts, because I was, I really did not realize how big the post office was. Like it was ginormous. So here right. are some fun facts just to give you like how, an idea of how big this was back then. Back in the eight, literal 18 Hamanashes. So by 1831, postal employees accounted for 76% of the civilian federal workforce. 76%. It's quite, it's more than 50. It is almost 100, but not quite. It's a C plus. It's, it's, it's C plus. It's three quarters of all federal employees were postal workers. Like that's insane. It's a lot of mail. That's all they're doing. What else are you supposed to be doing in 1831? Especially as a woman. Right. All I have is my pen and my parchment. Right. That's all they let me all do. All you're doing is sitting at home listening for those whistles for the postmaster to bring you hey, give the, me the letters toot-toots. about, hey, your daughter's a whore. Do, 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 do. Beep, beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. Your daughter's a slut. Beep, your beep, husband's beep, cheating beep, on beep, you. Beep. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you want to listen to Go the other Go see episode. our previous post office episode. You will be delighted. You will be delighted. Postmasters in 1831 outnumbered soldiers. Perfect. <laughs> like, the postmas- <laughs> there were 8,764 uh, postmasters and only 6,300 and some soldiers. Like, there were more of them than there were soldiers defending our U.S. country. And yeah. they were the most widespread representatives of the federal government, meaning, like, they were just everywhere because the mail was everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, shout out to the mail. Yeah. Like, what a what a time to correspond, you know? I mean, listen, they probably are getting it as quickly as we are getting our mail now. There is mail right. that I am waiting on, that I have been waiting on for weeks. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Okay, so some more history. Federal mail service to southern states was officially suspended on May 31st, 1861, following former U.S. Congressman John Henninger Reagan's proclamation that he would assume control of the Confederate Post Office Department on June 1st. Okay, John. Yeah. The United States banned the exchange of mail between citizens of the North and South in August of 1861, although smugglers often carried mail illegally across the lines. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, yeah. It's very, like, Berlin Wall-esque, okay? It is. (laughs) Continuing on, and all this is still, this is all USPS coming up. During the times of the World Wars, railway mail clerks had one of the toughest jobs in the post office department. Working elbow to elbow in fast moving rail cards, they needed brains and brawn. To, oh my goodness, brains I know. and brawn. Okay, I know. the USPS to, getting real. Yeah, all right. Fast Look, and loose with the elevate wordage. yourself. Yeah. I love that. 
They needed brains and brawn to memorize complicated mail sorting schemes and accurately sort mail in transit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Love. At many stations, trains did not even stop. Clerks readied the mail pouches and threw them out of the open car door while simultaneously snagging pouches of outgoing mail that hung trackside. This seems like the 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 room for error is high. The room for error is high. I feel like the ability to lose limbs is high. You're on these fast-moving mm-hmm. trains and you're like... What does this say? Why can't people print? Uh, like you're trying to like manage yeah. being on a rail car and also read and also sort mail. Like I, yeah. I already get car sick if I'm not driving. Like this would be very hard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's going to get worse. Annual reports <laughs> of the Postmaster General gave harrowing accounts of clerks injured and killed in the line of duty. I knew it. Trains were often derailed because of livestock on the tracks open switches, oncoming trains, broken rails, and washed out bridges. These people needed hazard pay. (laughs) They did need hazard pay. Good gracious. The work was so dangerous that an entire section of the annual report of the Postmaster General relating to the railway mail service was titled, and I quote, casualties. (laughs) Like this was something we did. Like the obituaries for all the postmasters who just Flippin' died on the train. died. Like, reached for the bag at Waterloo Station and just happened to mist and fell out on his head. Like, rest in peace, Bob. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah. And continuing to be rough, in 1904, this is still coming from the USPS website, which is why it's so insane. So in 1904, 21 men lost their lives in the line of duty, including one who was shot and killed by a train robber. Do you believe this? Of course I believe. It's they're the new pirates. <laughs> These god darn train robbers. Oh my god. Good it gracious. is the new pirates. We've turned our we've turned our attention to our we've internal turn pirates. Turn the page. Jesus. By the 1920 Oh my god. By the 1920s. This is USPS. Wait, this is USPS. Okay. By the 1920s, so many bandits were targeting mail trains that the Postmaster General armed railway mail clerks with government-issued pistols with orders to, quote, shoot to kill. This is the USPS website. How is there no movie about this? How oh, is there I don't no know. There has got to, to be we have got to write a movie about the United States Postal Service. Between this and the whistles, come oh on. It is Goodness a blockbuster. Me. We could get Ben Affleck to play the Postmaster General. We could. We could. Ben's available. He's available. He has he has the unfortunate ancestry as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so until the early 1970s, the Postmaster General was the director of the post office and as such had a powerful influence over benefactors. This is coming from Totally History. It was during this time that on August 12, 1970, President Nixon signed into law the most comprehensive postal legislation since the founding of the Republic, the Postal Reorganization Act. The act transformed the post office department into the United States Postal Service. An independent, going to punch independent. There you go. Establishment of the executive branch of the government of the United States. It is independent. It's It's law. It's parchment. It's independent. It's not with you and me. She's over there. She's taking me time. She doesn't want to talk to you. She's Miss Independent. Miss So Sufficient. Miss Keep Your Distance. Yep. Okay. She is Kelly Clarkson. She needed some time on her own to figure herself out because as you're going to tell us now, the United States Postal Service had fallen on some hard times. So like this, the Postal Reorganization Act that was that Nixon signed in 1970 came as a result of like a decade or so or more of like really some, I mean, people were already dying on the trains and like there right, were orders right. to shoot to kill, but like even fast forward to more modern day times, the post office was not doing very well. And right. so they like, what you're going to talk about now is like why they needed the post office reorganization act. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about let's it. Let's talk so, about it. Let's talk about it. In April, so the Reorganization Act was 1970. So just before this, in April of 1967, President Lyndon B. Johnson created the President's Commission on Postal Organization. Its 10 members included the Dean of Harvard Business School, the AFL-CIO, and heads of major corporations. It was chaired by Frederick R. Kappel, a former chairman of AT&T, and became known as the Kappel Commission. The president asked the commission to determine whether the postal system as presently organized is capable of meeting the demands of our growing economy and our growing expanding population. I feel like a problem we're still trying to solve. A problem we're still trying to solve. In June of 1968, the Kappel Commission concluded that it was not. So it was not capable of meeting the demands. No. The commission traced this incapacity to a, quote, an absence of responsible management having normal operating authority. Okay. Yeah. It felt that the post office department operated one of the nation's largest businesses, yet it was not run as a business, primarily because its nominal managers did not have the authority to run it. Rather, important management decisions of the post office are beyond their control. Okay. And then you've got the postmaster general at the head of it, who's like basically a statue head as a cabinet position under the president, having... What effect exactly? They weren't sure. Right. So the new Postal Service officially began operations on July 1st, 1971, when the Postmaster General ceased to be a member of the President's Cabinet. So goodbye, good luck, you're out. Pack your bags and go home. Yeah. The Postal Service received... Number one, operational authority vested in a board of governors and postal service executive management rather than in Congress. Which is what we talked about at the top. Still Mm -hmm. feels problematic. Yes, I still think it's not a perfect system at all. Number two, it received authority to issue public bonds to finance postal buildings and mechanization. Number three, it received direct collective bargaining between representatives of management and the unions. And number four, it received a new rate-setting procedure built around an independent postal rate commission. Since then, the United States Postal Service has been an entity within itself, no longer under the control of the executive branch, yet, much like previous decades, the Postmaster General position remains greatly sought after and promises the fortune-designated individual a very comfortable salary. Yeah. Look, I'm not mad. I don't mind, like, pay people. That's fine. Yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, but, like, this you, is an independent organization. Like, we, it's, like, what's happening to it right now is literally against everything that we set up in the 1970s. Yes. You know? And it's, it's just, still like, operating on the public, it's still operating on the, like, the stuff that was set up back then. Do you know, like, mm-hmm. that, that whole structure? Yeah. She needs a reboot. Mm-hmm. Well, and she needs funding, so we simply have to fund her. But uh, she also needs, God, everybody to stop trying to get involved with her. I just know? don't feel like if you, like, what is another branch of government that, like, would is so integral to the daily lives of Americans that you could take and separate out and be like, you know what? I think what this organization, what this agency needs is a board of directors. Yeah. You're not, like, and they yeah, didn't call no, it board weird. of a dire- yeah. They didn't call it board of directors. They called it board of governors because, like, to make it sound more to make it sound better. That's jazzy. actually like the MTA is a, run a little bit like that. And how do we? Mm-hmm. How do we? How think, does that work? How out? does that work out? Do we think that's poorly. working well? If you're not in New York, it's poorly. The answer it's is poorly. 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 It's a huge problem. Don't think we've forgotten De Blasio. No. Don't think we've forgotten Andrew. We know it's still poorly run. We still have issues. issues. I'm not letting up. No. Oi. Oi. Okay. So let's talk about what the Postmaster General does. Sure. So they oversee daily operations. This includes the daily business of all incoming and outgoing mail. All mail is labeled and checked over for proper weight and postage. So not that they're doing that themselves, but they are the end of the line. If something goes horribly, horribly wrong, 
It's right. on their it's on their it's on their timetable. The second duty is that the postmaster general is charged with the regulation of postal rates, so they get to decide mm-hmm. what they're going to charge. Their third duty, the postmaster general of the United States, is also a liaison between the public and the government on all things related to the postal service, honey. Okay, oh liaise with me, liaise. Liaise, liaise. The postmaster general helps us, the public, to understand what the laws and regulations mean for us as well as helping us to let the government know what we need. <laughs> They're not doing it. <laughs> Do you feel that that is true? I feel like that is I don't, a lie. I feel like we're falling short of the mark. I don't feel like... For De- this one. Yes. And I don't feel like DeJoy gives a flying rat's ass about what no. we think. No. No, 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 Show no. me a board of directors that cares about what, like, the public thinks. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure there are some. There, I'm sure there are some. But, like, a corporation run by these kinds of people? No, 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 no. So, four, number four, the Postmaster General is also required to oversee the hiring and firing of employees of the Postal Service, as well as the evaluation of the work they do. Obviously, he has managers. They have managers under them that do a lot of, He's not hands-on. No, he's not, you know, hiring your uncle to work in Du Bois. And last but not least, the Postmaster General of the United States also has the responsibility of making sure all employees receive their benefits. While the post office is run like a large corporation, hello problem. Hello problem. Hello problem. The employees make government wages and receive federal employee benefits. Okay, we love benefits. Yeah. All right, let's close it out on some important Postmaster Generals in our history. So this is coming from, again, USPS, the source herself. So in November of 1848, Postmaster General Cave Johnson dispatched a special agent to establish post offices in the newly acquired territory of California. Yeah. By Christmas, steamships under contract with the Navy Department were carrying mail from New York to California. Okay, yeah. Sea to Shining Sea. Hello. Yeah. Manifest Destiny. Can we talk about Love the fact that. that his name was also Cave? Cave. Yeah. His Family name. name. Cave. Cave. Postmaster like, imagine General. looking at an infant and being like, Cave. <laughs> cave. Bless up, Cave. So next up, Postmaster General John Wanamaker, who served from 1889 to 1893, was a merchant who became one of the most innovative and energetic people ever to lead the post office department. He thought it made more sense to have one person deliver mail than to have 50 people ride into town to collect their mail. Okay, there it is. <laughs> there it is. He was a man of the people. He was like, let's just, we'll send you one. You don't come here. Stop coming to the well. The well is closed. <laughs> the, I'm the, sending the well to you. <laughs> the, the horse traffic to get to the well is backed up down backed up. ye old post road 53. It's not working for me. It's not yeah. working. We gotta we gotta come up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah. So he sent Bob to the people. He sent Bob to the people. In 1957, a budget crisis prompted Postmaster General Arthur E. Summerfield to end Saturday deliveries nationwide. On one Saturday, April 13, 1957, there was no mail delivery. Public outcries convinced Dwight D. Eisenhower to sign a bill three days later, increasing funding for the post office, and service resumed. The, post serv- the Postal Service faced this predicament a few more times over the course of the next decades. Once in 1964, and again in 1975, and again in 1977. Then, in 1980, facing another budget crisis, Postmaster General William F. Bulger briefly considered ending Saturday delivery. Two postage rate increases the next year and rising mail volumes again got the Postal Service out of the crisis. Meanwhile, in December of 1980, Congress directed the Post Service not to reduce the number of days each week for regular mail delivery and has included similar instructions in annual appropriations legislation since then. 
So nevertheless, she persisted is the theme. Is the theme of of this this episode. Yeah. I this is what I was talking about when they did the the commission. Yeah. When they when the when the post office kept failing and kept going into debt and financial ruin. And then they they changed up the way that they run the post office. But it's like it's a consistent theme. And it's right. like, I mean, well, even right, like because- pre what's happening right now, the yeah. Postal Service was struggling. Struggling. And then COVID hit. And then they started trying to do all this shit to mess with it. So it's like, it's not, it's not been okay for a long time, which is no. why when everybody goes to the post office, they have a negative experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's why, that's why there's a phrase called going postal. Oh, well done. Did you not hear, do you not know that phrase? Mm-mm. You've never heard about going postal? I know, I know the phrase "going postal." Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that it was from the post office. Oh, I think I just always assumed that that that's where, like, because it's such a horrible place to be. Could be. That Look, makes it's, you so it's a great guess. Angry. Yeah, yeah. And even if that's not where that came from, the fact that that's where I think it came from, I think tells you everything. Genius. It's genius. <laughs> I have no notes. So then, in June of 1962. After a study of mechanization, the presidentially appointed advisory board of the post office department made several recommendations. One was the development of a nationwide address coding system, an idea the department had considered for a decade or more. Okay. Okay. A number of, right? Like, let's just toss this around. A number of coding programs were examined and discarded before the department selected a system advanced by department officials. Postmaster General J. Edward Day announced that the zip code would launch July 1st, 1963. Wow. I didn't know that. That just feels like, I mean, it makes sense. I never thought about when this, when a zip code became a thing, yeah. you know? So it's like, it's interesting to me that it was in the 1960s because that feels so, it's not, but it feels recent yeah. for some reason. I'm like, man, I thought we had zip codes in like 1862, man. <laughs> like, geez Louise. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, like, like that's the same decade that we went to the moon. Like, right. I just feel like we were a little bit behind at the United States Postal Service. Right, it took right, us right. until the moon landing decade. We're like, you guys, I think someone's going to land on the moon this decade. We got to figure this out. We got to figure this out. We can't just we gotta keep going, out. you know, Mary Rose Schenectady. Like, where? what? <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. So last but not least, our current postmaster general is Louis DeJoy. He is the 75th Postmaster General of the United States and the Chief Executive Officer of the world's largest postal organization. I just, the fact that it's in his title makes me want to cry heavy tears. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Appointed, uh, he was appointed by the governors of the Postal Service. DeJoy began his tenure as the Postmaster General quite recently in June of 2020, and he's already done so, so much. Mm-hmm. So, so much. Sure has made a little splash. He's made one. a splash. Prior to joining the Postal Service, he spent more than 35 years growing and managing a successful nationwide logistics company. Okay, I can see where that would give him some that credibility. Sure, 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 sure. Right? Don't knock it. I'm not knocking it. I can see where that would give him some credibility. As chairman and CEO of New Breed Logistics, DeJoy spent decades in collaboration with the United States Postal Service, Boeing, Verizon, Disney, United Technologies, and other public and private companies to provide supply chain logistics, program management, and transportation support. Again, all things that like make him qualified for We're this fine. job. We're fine with that. We're fine with that. New Breed Logistics was a contractor to the United States Postal Service for more than 25 years. I see a, like a conflict of interest here now. Supplying mm-hmm. logistic support for multiple processing facilities. Interestingly enough, he also donated more than four hundred and forty thousand to the Trump Victory Fund, the inaugural committee for Donald Trump, and the Republican National Committee. You could call it a conflict of interest. You could call it a conflict of interest, you Lizzie could call Stewart. It that. I think you yeah. should call it that. I I did it. I called it it. It's called. Yeah, no, it's um it's no good. It's no good what he's done and truly you could call one month of service. Thankfully, uh he has 
He has announced that he will suspend all the shit he was trying to do until after the election. So God bless, Godspeed. It's uh, it's really bad. And so all I can say as we wrap up this episode is, you guys, we simply have to support the post office, buy stamps, buy they have merch, they have all sorts of stuff, you know, mail a letter, do something. And like, please don't be angry at your the, the people who are just working the daily day jobs of the of the post office. Like it is not their fault what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, and I know it's tempting to let out your anger on them. But like, I can't think of a, a, wor- poor, a more poorly run thing than the post office right now. And it's being sabotaged even more. And yep. it's truly having nothing to do with the people who are like, you know, feeding their families by working the these jobs. So yeah, I yeah. mean, I oof, I just I want I just want her to hang on. You know, yep. we have to fund her. We have to fund her. Give her funding. But uh, but guys, that's our episode on the Postmaster General. Yes. Just to give you a little bit of background on that position, uh, since it's just. So, so relevant in the news right now. We simply, we simply had to chat about it. But as always, and as we said before, if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us, you can review us, and you can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.